Once again, I want to welcome everyone to Orchard Church today. I also want to welcome those that are joining us online. This is a great weekend to be here at Orchard as we are kicking off a brand new four-week series called Around the Table, where family happens. And you are in for a treat and a blessing today because we have a guest speaker, a very special guest speaker that is going to launch us into this series. His name is Scott Rideout. Uh, Scott Rideout was a pastor for 21 years in a church in Arizona. He took that church from 400 people to over four. 4,000 people and multiple locations. Um, he is now the president of Converge Worldwide, which is a network of over 1,300 churches that we are a part of because we believe that uh, we are better together uh, with other churches to help people find and follow Jesus. Do you believe that, church? Amen. So that's a network we're a part of, and uh, he's the president of that, and he is going to be kicking off this, this series today. But not only is he the president of Converge, but he is a dear friend of mine. He has been a huge blessing to me in my life as a, as a pastor of a growing church, and not just to me, but our leadership team and our, our staff. Um, he has met with us several times uh, monthly. We do a call-in with him, and he's, he's coached us along the way uh, because I've never led a church this size. I've never led a staff this size, but he has. Uh, sometimes people say, well, experience is the best teacher. Have you heard that before? I say someone else's experience is the best teacher, amen? And so he has been just such a, an amazing um, wealth of wisdom for me and our staff here. We wouldn't be where we are today as a church without the guidance and wisdom of Scott Rideout. So can you help me welcome to the stage, to Orchard today, Scott Rideout. Let's welcome him. Thanks. Thanks. Well, good morning, Orchard. Great to be with you today. I, I want to let you know something. Uh, it's great to, great to spend time with you. I've been praying for you, and I've been excited to see what God is doing in this church. Uh, God is doing amazing things in you and through you. And I thank God for all the efforts you're making to help people find and follow Jesus. I also want to say one more thing. I don't know if you know this, but you have a pretty awesome pastor. Um, yeah. Um, when I look at pastors, I look for, for three things, and uh, your pastor has all of them. He, he loves God, he loves God's word, and he loves you. And if you're going to have a pastor, that's what you want, someone who cares about you and you, you walking with, with Jesus. And so, again, thank you for the privilege of being here at Orchard today. We're starting a new series called Around the Table, where family happens. And uh, what we say in our family is, listen, uh, life change doesn't happen in, in rows, it happens in, in circles. It happens life on life, up close and over time. And, and if you're not a parent today, you're saying, well, maybe this isn't for me, but, but actually it is. So if you're a parent, this is definitely for you. If you want to be a parent, it's for you. Uh, if you have a parent, it's for you. If you know a parent, it's for you, all right? That's everybody in the room, I think, right? And Because we're talking about relationships. We're talking about connection and how to influence people uh, up close and over, over time. We're going to apply it to family in this series. Just so you know, uh, I've been married for 30 years to my wife, Lisa. Uh, she's an amazing woman, and uh, she puts up with me. You guys know what I'm talking about. And I have three kids. I have a son, John, who's 24. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska. I have a daughter, Ashlyn, who just moved from Arizona to Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. She's a doctoral student in physical therapy. I have a son, David, that's at Liberty University in Virginia. And my wife and I live in Orlando, Florida. So we are a family distributed, but we're very, very uh, united. Um, we're in that empty nest phase of, of marriage and families. Anyone in that empty nest phase? Um, my wife looked at me a few months ago. It was like the third night in a row. It was just me and her at dinner. And she looked at me and she said, it's just you. <laughs> it's really just you. 
And I'm like, yeah, baby. You know, she, was, she didn't take that very well. So uh, anyway, you know there are phases to parenting. And uh, this is not in your notes, but you can write it down just to think about it. Different phases of parenting. The, the first is, is caregiver. When, when your children are so young, they can't take care of themselves, and you take care of everything for them. You're, you're in caregiving stage. Now, some of you think, I've got an 18-year-old. I'm still caregiving. Okay, that's called codependency. That's a different talk for a different day, all right? Uh, then after caregiving comes cop. Cop phase is when you're teaching them the boundaries, you're teaching the rules, the right and the wrong, the yes and the no, you're teaching them values and things like that. And, and that lasts up to about their 12 or 13. And you go into the third phase, which is, which is called coach. And the reason I call it coach is because they kind of start living their life outside of you. They're out there on the field and you're on the sidelines watching them play and their friends become much more influential in their lives. And so you have to, when they come back home, you have to coach them up to go back out there and play the game a little bit more. And then when you get to empty nest, uh, I call that consultant phase, uh, because you're hoping that when they have a problem, they'll give you a call. You know, they're just, they're on their own. And then the final one is care receiving phase, care receiving phase. Now, if you've played the first four right, that's a good season, that care receiving. If you haven't, oh well, you know. Uh, you know, care receiving, they can pay you back for everything you ever did to them. Or they can honor you for everything you ever gave them. The choice, the choice is yours. And so caregiving, a cop, coach, consultant, care receiving, and let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. So we're gonna, we got more, we got more to do. Uh, listen, family is so important to God. Family is the foundation of society. Family was designed by God. And so we have a great privilege of having so much in God's word that talks about family. Now today we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. It's in a time when, when uh, Israel has escaped from Egypt. God has led them out in the part of the Red Sea. Uh, they went to the promised land, but they didn't agree with God. They didn't obey God. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years until the older generation died off in the desert, and a younger generation who would obey God would actually listen to him was, was there. And so this is a group of people that didn't actually listen the first time you told them something. That sounds like parenting to me, all right? And, uh, and now they're in, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It's right in the front. Deuteronomy means second law. Uh, they didn't listen the first time, so God's having to tell them a second time, this is what you need to do. Dad is always right, right? So uh, he's telling them what to, what to do, and hopefully they're going to listen this time. So let's pick, up it, pick it up in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It'll be here on the screen, and you also can turn to it in your Bible. Here's what it says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. This is Moses talking about God. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that, they may go well, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Moses is representing God and saying, listen, guys, we didn't get it right the first time, but God wants to bless you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be his family, his, his people, and we have to listen to him. And if we do listen to him, then, and we pass this on from us to our sons, to our sons' sons, if it goes from generation to generation to generation, there'll be great blessing in the family of God. 
Before they didn't listen, but now he's saying, I, you, I want you to listen to this. This is really important because it's not just about that generation. It's about their sons and their sons' sons. It's about generation after generation after generation living a legacy of following God. Isn't that what we want? That's what we want today, right? That's what we want. We want our, our kids to follow God. And yet a lot of us are stuck in this idea that we're, we're supposed to parent our kids to just, just kind of obey us instead of just obey God. If you look at your notes, there's a blank to fill in. It says this, God's desire is not that we raise compliant kids, but that we release responsible adults. We never live just for this generation. We always live for the generations to come in the kingdom of God. And so as Moses tells them this, he's talking about your sons and your sons' sons, generation after generation. And, and all, if all we do is get our kids to obey us and we don't release responsible adults, then only one generation benefits. The next generation, they're still in cop mode instead of coach mode. God wants us to release responsible adults who follow Jesus all the days of their lives. This is so important for us. It says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart, they will not depart from it. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about, I've got a table here, I want to talk about four legs to stand on from this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so we're talking about four things, and we're going to ask four questions about this passage about, about parenting. And so let's get at it. The first one is this. The first leg to stand on is the word model. Model. We as parents, one of our greatest priorities, one of our greatest responsibilities is to model what we want our kids to do. Look what it says in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Hey, listen, guys, faith begins with you. Parents, it's our responsibility to model the faith we want our kids to live. I don't know if you realize this, but our kids mimic us. They copy us. And in my family, uh, when something good happens when they're older, uh, I say, that was, that was me. And when something bad happens, that was you, you know. Uh, but we, we, our kids mimic us. So when my kids were young, my oldest was about two years old. We lived in a two-story house in Gilbert, Arizona. And my son, John, loved laundry day. Because we lived in a two-story house, and the bedrooms were upstairs, and the laundry room was downstairs. And so uh, Lisa would put a laundry basket at the bottom of the stairs over the balcony, and he would sit in, so John would sit in that basket, and she would drop the laundry down on his head. He loved that, one piece at a time. Now, he's two years old. He's learning language, so he's learning new words. Here comes a shirt. Here, here comes some pants. Here comes some socks. No, we did not throw underwear on my kid's head. I just said, that's... That's abuse. Uh, so, but he would, and so he, she would throw one down and he would say the word, you know, try to say the word, you know, he's two years old. And so, and I came home that day, one day, uh, for on laundry day, I came home and John had gotten fascinated with shirts. And in fact, he was saying I, I, at the dinner table, shirt, 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 shirt. The only problem was he hadn't learned how to do R sounds yet. <laughs> shirt, 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 shirt. And I looked at my wife, Lisa, and said, bad day, huh, you know, because he's mimicking her, you know, and so it, 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 we, we need to model for our kids. They're, they're going to follow us. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, it says, when a student is fully formed, they'll be just like their teacher. So there's a lot of things in our kids that I, I just, I see them and I cringe because I'm, okay, that's me. That's my impatience. That's my, you know, that's my speaking before I think, you know, ready, shoot, aim. That's, that's, that's me. And I just, like, okay, 
my kids are watching. My kids are watching. I've got to make sure that I'm living life the way I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to live. You know, there's a couple things to think about when you're modeling. One is consistency. One is having a pattern, having habits, having disciplines that they see over and over and over that add to their spiritual life, that add to their character. Uh, for example, I was talking to my youngest son, David, who's 20 today, and uh, he was talking to me a couple weeks ago on fall break, and he said, Dad, it's so weird for you to live in Orlando because I have in my head this memory of you. See, every morning when my kids got up, I would already be up, and I had a blue chair right beside the front door, and I would sit there every morning, and I would, I would journal, and I would read scripture, and I would pray. And in the new house, we didn't have the blue chair. We didn't, and he was, and he's, he's like, I, I just, I see this blue chair, and I see you in it reading your Bible, and, and now your chair is over there instead of beside the front door, and kids are gone, so I can change locations, but, and, you know, it just makes sense, and, and I'm just so glad that my son, when he thinks about thinks about me. He's, I remember my dad every single morning opening up the Word of God and praying for me. That's a powerful picture in a child's head, isn't it? There's also another. It's not just the consistency. And so we, we, uh, we go to church every week, and we were in small groups, and we found places to serve, and, you know, because we wanted to make sure that, that they saw that our faith was really, really important. And consistency demonstrates faith. It models faith. But there's also another thought, of, uh, thought that really forms them. It's, it's times of crisis. You know, we're actually like a tube of toothpaste. When we get squeezed, something comes out. The question is, what comes out when you're in crisis? Is it your faith? Is it your trust in God? Or is it something else? We've got to recognize that in times of crisis, our faith is tested. And a, and a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. We've got to model our faith. You know, do, do the crises in your life, do they move you toward God or away from God? Do you show that you're trusting God more or, or doubting God more? It's so important for us to live lives of faith in front of our children. So here's the question under the first, on the first leg. It's this. When it comes to living a life of faith, can I say, follow me? Can I say, follow me? Listen, follow me is a much stronger motivation than you should. We have to walk the talk. Second leg. Second leg is this, motivate. Motivate. It goes on in the next verse, verse 6 says this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your what? Be on your heart. They've got to be on your heart. They've got to be a part of you. They've got to drive you. They've got to motivate you. I have, a, I have very different kids, and I, I found that I very often in parent mode, I'll go to behavior modification when God actually wants me to be in heart transformation mode. I just want them to do what I need them to do. I, anyone know what I'm talking about as a parent? Just, just take out the trash. Just clean your room. Just, and it's, and that's, that's a kind of a low-level motivation. Uh, I have found that my kids are, are motivated by different things. My oldest son, John, whenever he got caught doing something wrong, he would just fess up. That sense of guilt in him was just so strong. He would just fess up. Yeah, I, I did. I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. My daughter, Ashlyn, never did anything wrong. And uh, to this day, never did anything wrong. But when I found her doing something a little bit wrong, and I, I pointed it out to her in a gracious way, she would just melt because she was a shame kid. You know, I don't want, I don't want you to feel, you know, I don't want you to look at me dad, bad, dad. You know, that she was a shame kid. My son, David, would lie to my face. Nothing seemed to get to him. And so fear was the thing. It's like, David, 
I found a $20 bill in your pillowcase. Now, how did it get? I have no idea. David, you know, it's just, it's one of those kind. And fear, guilt, shame, and fear. Now, they're all low-level motivations. In fact, this is not in your notes. Let me just tell you different level motivations. Uh, very much as parents, we use guilt, shame, and fear to move our kids forward. But the thing about guilt, shame, and fear, that they work once. But then there's a callousness that develops over their hearts. Because they feel like, okay, my parents unpleasable, or I'll never get it right, or you know, there's this discouragement and, and callousness. When you live in guilt, shame, and fear land, callousness overwhelms their heart, and eventually they'll just ignore you or just be so discouraged and, and hopeless with you, they'll just, they'll just give up. You, you don't want to be that. Ne- next level is duty and responsibility. Now, a lot of people think that's a really high-level motivation, but actually, uh, you know, try it. Yeah, it was your job. You know, see how, yay, it's my job. You know, uh, you, you're supposed to do that. Yay, that's not high-level motivation. That's low-level motivation. And the next one is, is need. Need, well, there's a need. Someone needs to take out the trash. Someone needs to clean up the room. Someone needs to do this. Oh, I'll do it. You know, that's, that's just not the high motivation. Those are all low-level motivations. There's always, how many of you don't have any needs in your life, in your family? Yeah, there's always gonna be needs, so it's not gonna be a high-level motivation. The higher level motivations are things like personal benefit. Helping them see that it's actually gonna help you become stronger, smarter, wiser, uh, have greater courage, taking the risk. It's personal benefit. If you do this, here's here's what's gonna happen with you. For example, maybe uh, uh, we we would, uh, maybe maybe you've ever, everyone ever gone to a movie or to a restaurant and didn't like it? Yeah, me, me too, me too. Um, but, but then I've gone out and served, and I felt something great about serving. When I helped someone that, that couldn't help themselves, I feel great about that. Because you and I, we were designed to serve, and, and I just, it, there's a personal benefit to serving other people, to live for something bigger than yourself. The next level is impact, that, that you're going to actually, you're actually going to live for something bigger than yourself, and it's going to make an impact on other people. People love to change other people's lives. They love to impact people. They love to help people move forward in life. But the highest level of motivation is love, relationship, and identity. Love, relationship, and identity. Now, my, my family, we've lived all those different levels. Uh, for example, uh, when my kids were little, I came home from work one day, and I go back to my bedroom, and there's my daughter laying on the floor looking under the bed. And I go to the other side, and there's my older son, John, laying on the floor looking under the bed. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And then I hear a whimper from under the bed. You know, and I realized that David, their younger brother, is under the bed. I'm like, "What are you doing?" It's Dad. He hasn't received Jesus yet, and I'm gonna not gonna let him out until he receives Jesus. You know, <laughs> that's my evangelist. You know, I was like, "But you can't treat him that way." You know, the guilt, shame, fear—that's just not gonna work. Is what I'm thinking. You can't treat your little brother like let him out from under the bed. He's like, "I don't know what I did wrong." You know, it's that, that kind of stuff. And I come back the next week, and and he's he's not under the bed now. John has locked him in the. We have a little camper outside. Now, I live in Phoenix. It's 115 degrees, and my son's outside in a non-air-conditioned camper. And it's like, well, he's going to, John, he would die out there. Well, if he dies tonight, it stands for God. So, uh, and he, you know, like, no, you can't use guilt, shame, and fear. You can't do that. That's a low-level motivation. You have to use the higher levels of love and relationship and identity. You're like, what does that mean, identity? Some of you have family uh, uh, sayings. Things that are always true about you. And when our kids were young, we would always try to instill things about our family. Rideouts never give up. Rideouts finish what they start. Rideouts believe the best about each other. 
Uh, Rideouts take risk and have courage. We had all these things that we would just push into our kids. And in fact, my wife uh, gave a great identity statement. Every, every morning when my kids were in elementary school, she would ask us this question. As they went off to school, she would say, whose child are you? Whose child are you? And she wasn't looking for them to say her name or my name. She was looking for them to say, I'm, I'm God's child. That's right. God loves you. He gives you the strength you need for your day. And you can trust him today in whatever you face. She would say that over and over and over because she was trying to, to put a sense of identity. I belong to God and God loves me and God gives me strength. And she was just trying to put that in their heads. That's an identity. And it was high level motivation that paid off really, really great later on in life. The question under this one, under motivate, is this. Uh, does my approach to motivation show that I want something for my kids or from my kids? I mean, if you're, if you're uh, a parent, and uh, you should probably have a conversation either with your spouse or with a friend, just saying, hey, when it comes to parenting, what do I want for my kids? What do you want for them? Uh, we want them to be smart. We want them to be wise. We want them to be frugal. We want them to be, have great character. You know, so how do we get there? How do we motivate them to move toward those things that we want for them and not just from them? The third leg, the third leg is train. We, we model, we motivate, and we train. Here's what the passage says. Look at, the, look at the next verse. It says, you shall teach them, what's that word? Diligently to your children. Teach these truths diligently to your children. The picture here is actually of, of sharpening of a knife. Uh, just grinding it over and over and over and over and over. And don't, don't give up. You can't just say it once. Most parents have this thing. Well, I said it once. They should listen to me, right? No, say it over and over and over. Keep impressing it on them over and over and over. And it explains how. Um, it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, when they get up in the morning, you're talking about your faith. And when they go to bed at night, you're talking about the faith. And when they're at home, you're talking about your faith. And when they're outside the home, you make sure they have places where they can talk about your faith. This is why the relationship between family and church is so, so important. But here's the thing. It's not the church's job to lead your child spiritually. It's our job as parents, and the church is a partner in that. I remember at one point in time, I was a youth pastor. I'd been a youth pastor for about 10 years, and this lady in my church came up to me. She had her 16-year-old son with her, and he just put, he, she, just, she was kind of frustrated, and she took him by the shoulders and pushed him forward and said, fix him. I said, okay, ma'am, may I talk to you? And I took her to the side. I said, first of all, don't ever, don't ever do that to your son. That embarrassed him. You know, all of us have problems. All of us need to fix things. So don't, don't ever do that. That was, that was shame. And I don't ever do that. Second thing is, is this, listen, uh, you want me to fix him? This is your responsibility. And, and I, I said this, and maybe it's not a good thing. I said, I said, listen, it took you 16 years to mess him up. You think I can fix him, fix him in a few weeks? You're crazy. Now, I had a relationship with this person. She allowed me to say that. I knew this kid. We've been friends for a while. Don't try that, all right? But I said, listen, why don't we partner in this? Let's figure out how we can work together. Well, a couple years later, he graduates from high school. He's walking with Jesus. And his mom couldn't be more happy because she had a partner helping her figure out how to help the son to, to walk with it. Listen, this is, this is so important that we train our kids diligently for those things. Well, how do we do that? Uh, one is experiences. If, if you want them to grow in their faith, you put them in experiences where their faith is tested, where their faith is challenged. My son 
Uh, I'm sorry, my daughter Ashlyn and I, when she was 14 years old, I took her to Fiji, uh, an island in the, in the Pacific. I took her there because there was, a, there was a ministry there called Homes of Hope that rescued young girls out of the sex slave trade that was happening on the island. Uh, there were families uh, that sold their children, fathers specifically, sold their children into the trade. And these girls were between the, between the ages of 11 and 14 years old when they were sold into the trade. They were sold for groceries. Uh, they were sold for keeping their jobs and other, other things. And, and so I brought my daughter because I wanted her to see these 14-year-olds that had two and three kids and yet were being rescued out of this and the, how the gospel was changing their lives. And um, my daughter, so here she is talking to these girls, and she has a moral authority because she's 14 years old. And she has a father who loves them, which is something that they haven't experienced. So she can talk about not just about me, but her father in heaven that loves her. And it was just a, amazing. God used her in an amazing, amazing way and that experience. And before we left Fiji, I, I sat down with her and said, did you have a good time? She said, Dad, Dad, I love this. I said, God used you in amazing ways. Just in amazing ways. I'm so proud of you. I can't believe all the things that God has done in your life here. She's like, yeah, Dad, it was, it was great. I said, but I want to remind you that the same Holy Spirit that lives in you in Fiji lives in you in Arizona. And God wants to use you in great ways in Arizona. You are a leader. You're a godly woman. I'm so proud of you. Now let God use you back home. We use that experience, and sure enough, she goes home, and she's a leader in her student ministry. She's a leader in her school. She's a leader in the church. She's starting to, to mentor young girls. I mean, it was just amazing to see how that experience helped her move forward in her faith, because I, as a parent, and you as a parent, can challenge them to move forward in their faith through the experiences that we share together. But there's also not just the experiences that we have. It's the everyday things. Now, I mentioned to you that my wife, Lisa, would ask the question before school. My youngest son, David, was uh, going off to kindergarten the next day, and he, he went to Lisa and said, uh, hey, hey, Mom, I'm gonna, I want to ask you a question. So, sure. Are you going to ask me that question tomorrow? She said, what question? The, are you God's child question? Or whose child are you question? And she says, yeah, I'm going to ask you that. He says, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not God's child yet. And, uh, and she said, well... Um, what do you want to do about that? You see, on every morning before school, my wife would open up the Bible with my kids, and we'd walk through a verse. We'd pick one verse a year, and we'd just repeat it over and over. It's verses like 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down at you because you're young. But in faith, speech, knowledge, you know, earnestness, uh, being in purity, be an example. And she would just talk about different parts of the verse, and then she would ask him, whose child are you? And he said, I'm not... I'm not God's child and, and yet. I mean, she said, well, you know God loves you, right? Yeah, God, I know God loves me, but I, I haven't asked Jesus to forgive my sin. And this kid understood it. She said, well, what do you want to do about that? She says, he said, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. And so she brought me in, and she brought, we brought the other kids in. And, and David, sure enough, I got to lead my son to Christ right then. And her, his brother and sister were so great. They got so excited. They threw him on the floor and pounded him. That's love in our family, you know. They were so excited for him that, that he that he, he had this. It was the consistency. It was the everyday of opening God's word and asking, whose child are you? Whose child are you? Whose child? It just led them to this place where they were being trained by God's word and they're being trained uh, in identity in Christ. It was an amazing thing. The, four, the question is this. How can I identify and create teachable moments with my kids? How can I identify and create teachable moments? By the way, here's an extra I haven't told any other service. It's this. Uh, date your kids. Date your kids. Take them out one-on-one -on -one and have conversation and simply ask them this. How's your heart? 
What are you carrying these days? What are you excited about these days? How's your, how's your heart? Just do that, and that'll create teachable moments for you because you, you'd be surprised what your kids will talk about when you give them one-on-one attention alone. The fourth leg, the last leg to stand on is the, is the leg of celebrate. Celebrate. And if you're taking extra notes, write this down. What gets celebrated gets repeated. What gets celebrated gets repeated. This is what it says in verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. The, the Israelites had these little um, things on their arm. They would have a, like a, a, a leather strap, and it was called a, a tefillim. And they would have on the end of the strap a little box that had verses from Scripture in it. Uh, the verses in, in they would have in there are things like Exodus chapter 13, when it talks about the uh, unleavened bread and how God rescued them from Egypt. Uh, it had about how the firstborn was dedicated, how we need to be dedicated to God. Uh, then there was these verses we're reading today was another one. And then chapter 11, where it says the same thing as these do. Uh, those were inside the box. And so they would have that in a little box off their, off their wrist. They would also have them on their foreheads. This is what it's talking about right there. And the passage goes on and says, And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your, on your gates. They had these things called mezuzahs. They were little cylinders that had this passage and other passages in them that would be over the doorpost. And so as people walked out of the doorpost, they would kiss, they would kiss it or they would touch it. You know, if you ever know Notre Dame fans, you know what I'm talking about. They would, they would touch it. It would remind them you're going out and you're representing God. And so they had it on their wrist. They had it on their forehead. They had it in their house. It, it, was, it was visible. It was, it was everywhere to show that they belonged to God and they were to live for God. We celebrate things by making them uh, a part of everyday life. We celebrate things by, by showing that we're devoted to those things. I see a whole bunch of orange and blue in this room today, all right? There's some celebration. There's some devotion that goes on. You, you're showing your true colors by, by, by doing that, and that's a great thing. I mean, it's a great thing to do that, but how much more is, is, is the Word of God supposed to be on our kids' hearts, their minds, and in their, in their environments? We have to make sure that we're, that we're thinking that way. We'll get celebrated it's repeated. Celebration shows in our time. It shows in our talk. It shows in encouragement. It shows in attention. It shows in priority. It shows in investment, what we invest in. Now, I have I just say something because I'm not the pastor of this church, and I, but I, I, I can say this because uh, I'm, I'm leaving on a plane today. And um, I had a whole lot of times where parents were upset about the cost of student ministries. And they would be upset about all the things we were doing because they're just costing too much. And then I watched them go and spend 150 bucks on a pair of Nikes instead of 150 bucks on the youth retreat. Or they would, you know, band band camp costs this much, but the youth camp costs this much. They're going to choose band camp. They can't do both. And and uh, you know, and I again, I just I'm just challenged by that. Listen, um, it's amazing how small 100 dollars is at the mall and how big it is at church. And isn't the investment in our kids' spiritual life more important than the style of shoe that they wear? Let's, let's just move that direction. Let's just agree we're going to move that direction. We're going to invest in our kids' spiritual lives. What if we got to the place where we were more excited about our kids spending time alone with God than a touchdown? Or making a hard decision according to their faith than seeing a home run hit? What if we got to that place? There's a question under this one, and it's this. The question is, what actions and attitudes do I want repeated in my kid's life? So my son David, when he was eight years old, had a birthday party, and he got $48 for his birthday. Now, i got to ask you, you guys who are my generation, did any of us have $48 when we were eight years old? 
I mean, that's just crazy money. And he's, he's sitting there and he's looking at his money. He's looking at his green. I'm like, what do you want to do with that, David? He's like, I want to spend it. I was like, that's his mom. And um, <laughs> that's a joke. So I'm like, okay. So we jump in the car. We're heading off to Target. And he's going to go spend his money. He's sitting there looking at it. I'm thinking, this is not good. I mean, he really likes this stuff way too much. And I, I want him to be generous. I want him to be you know, kind. I want him to think about others and be others-centered. And so I'm thinking, this is a teachable moment. This is a moment I need to say something as a dad. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'll ask him, I'll ask him if you wonder where he knows where that came from. So I'm asking him, hey, bud, where did it come from? Because I know what he's going to say. I mean, he's a pastor's kid. And he's going to say, uh, God, uh, God says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything it contains, the whole world and all is in it. So I asked him, I said, where did it come from? He said, Grandma. I said, yeah, but where did grandma get it? Because I know my son. He's going to say, well, James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And I said, well, where did grandma get it? He said, the bank. And I'm thinking, this is not working. And so finally, I have to go from intuitive to prescriptive parenting. I said, well, actually, you know, yeah, the, grandma got it from the bank. But you realize that every good gift comes from God? That everything we have that we like and enjoy comes from God. It's a gift from him. And, and we should be thankful to God, don't you think? He's like, yeah, Dad. I said, you know how to say thanks to God? He's like, no. I said, well, the Bible teaches us to give a small, if it's money, to give us a small portion back to God, like 10%. So in your case, that'd be like 4 or $5 uh, giving, back, giving back to God. So what do you think? You, you want to say thank you to God by giving him a gift? And the wheels start turning in his head. And I'm thinking, this is a crucial moment because if he says, yes, I want to honor God, he's going to be a missionary by the time he gets out of college. And if he says no, I'm going to be bailing him out of jail by the time he's 16. I just, I just know it. <laughs> You know, so uh, I look at him and say, so what do you think? You want to you wanna honor God? You want to just say thank you to God? He looks at me and he says, nah. <laughs> a few weeks later, we're having a campaign at our church. So we, we uh, took the month of November to try to raise money for a children's wing that we had not built out when we first built our building. And, uh, and our kids were involved in it. And they were all trying to figure out how to, because they're kids, they wanted to be a part of it. And so my oldest son, John, was mowing lawns. He'd take the money, he put it in this jar that we had in the kitchen. My daughter Ashton was babysitting, and she would take the money. She put it in the jar in, in the kitchen. And when I came from work, uh, Dave would check my pockets. He put the money in the jar <laughs> in the kitchen. And that day, we took the jar out of the kitchen, went to the, to, to the kitchen table, and we poured out all the coins and dollars and things like that. We've been saving for over, over a month, and we're so excited. Now, John, my oldest, is the, is the cash guy, so he's got all the dollar bills counting that. My daughter's the detail person. She's got the nickels, dimes, and pennies, and she's counting that. David is told to stack quarters in groups of four. He has no clue why, all right? So, but he's, that's, that's what he's supposed to do. And so the kids, I'm just listening, the kids are talking about how exciting it's going to be to have this children's wing finished and how they can invite their friends and this kind of stuff. And David leaves the table because Ashlyn is, is still busy with the nickels, dimes, and pennies because she's that detailed girl. And, and, he, and he comes back in the room. He's got his hand behind his back. and He's got this look on his face. Just as sad as can be. I'm like, you okay, buddy? I said, what is it, bud? What's behind your back? Now, we had gone that day to Target with his $48. He had spent $26 on an electronic dartboard. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's an investment. And he, he, he does it like three times, decided he didn't like it anymore. And so he never used it after this next uh, first few times he used it. He just never did. And behind his back, he said, Dad, I want to give this to Jesus. And he pulled out the other $22. I'm like, Bud, are you sure? He's like, But his heart's going. 
Well, immediately his brother and sister got up. They were so excited. They, just, they threw him on the ground and pounded him because that's love in our family. David, this is awesome. This is amazing. Way to go. And, you know, they're having this great time. And, and uh, we, we count the money. It's $167 that my kids have raised in a month, which is just amazing. And I, I sit down with David. I'm like, David, I am so, so proud of you. Were you scared? He's like, yeah. And I said, why did you do it? He said, because I want my friends to know Jesus. And I thought, I am the best dad in the world. <laughs> That's not what I thought. I thought, I can't, I can't believe my son. I got so excited, I said, let's jump in the car. I took him back to Target and bought him a big Nerf hoop. It was 10 bucks, and we played Nerf all day long. You guys are saying, Scott, you're an idiot. Well, I know that, but... Because you spent the $26 here, you spent 10 more here. You realize that's only a, a gift of $12 that really happened. Well, let me tell you what I was thinking. When it came to this money, when it came to this issue, it was never about the money, was it? It was never about the money. It was always about my son's heart. And would he turn his heart to the things of God? Would he soften and realize that God's going to supply his needs? Would, would, he, would he trust God with his future? It was always about his heart. I wanted him to know that God loves him and God provides for him. And that God is a generous God. And so we become a generous people. After all, when you think about model, motivate, train, and celebrate, you realize we have the best example in the world in our Heavenly Father. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. We have a generous God who gave. He modeled generosity. And his motivation was love. And he's trying to train us through his word to be like that in our lives. And one day when we get to heaven, there's going to be a celebration like we've never seen in this world. Where people from all nations, all places, are going to be around the throne, worshiping God, celebrating God's goodness to us. I want to ask you today as we close, I want to ask you, do you know God that way? Do you recognize that he loves you? Do you recognize he's been generous to you by giving his one and only son for you? See, you and I have an issue. We, we, are, we, are, we are caught in sin. We're caught, we, we mess up every single day. We have difficulties that we, we don't know what to do with. And, and we make mistakes and we hurt other people. And the Bible calls that sin. It's missing God's perfect mark for our lives. And yet God, because he loved us, sent his son to die for your sin and for mine so we could have a relationship, a restored relationship with him. We're all sinners. We've all blown it. Yet God is a great God who loves us and is generous and has given his son for us. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask those of you who are in the, in the group today, if, if you've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I can't deal with my own sin. I can't earn my way. I can't, I can't do anything. I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to save me from this. He sent his son Jesus for that reason. So he could re we could restore our relationship with God. Would you bow your heads? And if you're a person in the room today that's been thinking about, you know what? I've been doing things on my own. I've been trying to make it work on my own. I, need, I don't need just help. I need... I need saving. I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to deal with a sin in my life that I can't do anything with. I'm frustrated. I'm stuck by myself. 
I want you to pray with me right now. Jesus, thank you that you do love me. And I know I've messed up. I know things have gotten difficult in my life. I know that I've caused a lot of that. I know that I've sinned. And I can't pay for my sin. I recognize that now. And so Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died so that I could live. And so I'm asking you to come in my life to forgive my sin and to restore me to fellowship with God. I wanna know this God who's so generous and so loving that he would give his one and only son. And so God, I ask for your help today. I ask for your help. Help me, help me follow you all the days of my life. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd just like to ask if you've made that decision for the first time today, or maybe it's a recommitment. If you've made that decision today, would you just be so bold just to, it's a dark room, but would you just be so bold to show God just by raising your hand. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I just ask for these people who've made that decision today that you would bless them, that you'd help them recognize that they no longer have to worry about how am I gonna cover my sin? How am I gonna fix this? because you've stepped into their lives. You've forgiven their sins through Jesus on the cross. They don't have to live in guilt or shame or fear. They can live in their new identity as a child of God, someone adopted into your family. And for those of us who are believers in the room that have, have already made the decision, help us to be thankful and help us to live a life where we model and motivate and train and celebrate. Help us to raise up our kids train them the way they should go in order that when they're old, they will not depart from it. God, I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Can we celebrate those who said yes to Jesus today? Thank you so much, Scott. If you did say yes to Jesus today, that is the most important decision you can ever make. And it's one you'll walk out for the rest of your life as you follow Jesus. We know it's a long journey. We want to help you in the first steps of that journey. So we developed this booklet. It's called our I Said Yes booklet. You can get it out in the lobby next to the big lit up cross out there. Please, if you said yes to Jesus today, don't leave this building without getting this in your hands and stopping by and saying hi to the people at the I Said Yes booth. If it's your first time with us today, thank you so much for coming. We're so glad you're here. Can we welcome our first time guest, Orchard Church? We know it takes courage to walk through those doors, and we recognize that courage. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to receive an offering. There's going to be buckets that go by. First-time guests, we're not interested in your money today, but we would love the chance to get to know you a little bit better. So there's a Blue Connect card in your newsletter. I hope you'll fill that out or have filled that out. You'll drop that in the offering when it goes by here in just a moment. And maybe you weren't here at the beginning of the service when we put this up on the screen, but... Every single week in this four-week Around the Table series, we're giving away a family-oriented prize. And you can win that prize or enter to win that prize by texting the word FAMILY to 303-373-2828. That's FAMILY to 303-373-2828. This week's prize is a four-pack to AMC movie theaters. If you've ever been to a movie with your family, you know that that's worth about $1,000 once you do popcorn and everything. No, it's, it's for the movie. So, hey, text in to win that. You can even do that in your seat right now. Next week, we're actually giving out a family photo shoot to one lucky winner. So we'll be doing the same thing next week. How many of you know, know some photogenic families who could, who could listen to Pastor Doug talk about parenting? 
How many of you know some unphotogenic families that could listen to Pastor Doug talk about parenting? All right, he'll be back on stage next week. Bring your friends. Uh, he's going to go over the three unchanging principles of parenting. Great, life-changing parenting and relationship advice next week. So Pastor Doug will be back next week. I know he mentioned Harvest Fest at the beginning, and I just want to say this because this is something we did differently this year. We actually had a prayer tent at Harvest Fest, and do you know that there were families, there were people that actually gave their life to Christ during the middle of Harvest Fest. So we celebrate that effort upon everybody, all the small groups, everybody who had a part in that. You had a part in those decisions. And every time you give, every time you serve, every time you contribute here at Orchard, you have a part in every single I Said Yes story. So right now, can we stand as we worship in one last song of praise and we worship through our giving of our tithes and our offerings. And if you need prayer for any reason, there are prayer volunteers on either side of the stage. After this song, come on up. They'd love to pray for you. God bless you, Orchard Church.